Today I'm talking with Blue Andrews. Blue recently wrote a book called Choosing Life. It's a memoir about his battle through alcoholism and depression. And Blue's also started a website called Creed's Living, which gives people that have alcoholism and depression another uh, another avenue of help to find. Um, I love Blue and his story. I've actually known Blue for a couple years now through the yoga community, um, but did not know the battle that he had been fighting internally uh, until I read his book. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love this podcast and the reasons I started this podcast is that we don't know how strong and how influential the people that are naturally around us in our life can be until we have an opportunity to ask them about that. And so I had known Blue for probably three years before he told me he wrote this book and I had an opportunity to sit down and read it and found that it reflected a lot with my own personal journey and the, the struggles that I've had in life. So really excited for Blue to be here, really looking forward to the vulnerable conversation that we'll have about his journey, about my journey, and about alcoholism in general. Hope you get something out of the show. We'll see you on the other side. But first, a message from our sponsor. Our healing journey can be difficult and might feel lonely at times. That's why I love sound baths. Where we can get together in a community, we intrinsically support and feel supported by others. And that combined energy can help us go deeper into our own healing journeys. And all you have to do is just lay there for one hour and listen to beautiful healing sounds. I'm a sound healing practitioner, and I hold sound baths on a regular basis in the greater Seattle area. You can find my next sound baths on my website at adamrealhealing.com. That's Adam, A-D-A-M, real, R-I-E-H-L, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, dot com. Adamrealhealing.com. Your healing is worth your time. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Blue Andrews. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today, I'm sitting across from a, a friend of mine named Blue Andrews. Uh, so Blue and I have kind of uh, known each other through uh, through yoga for a number of years now, probably about three or four years, somewhere in there. Yeah. And uh, and I always loved having you in class, and I always loved uh, you know the chit chat that we had. And um, about a month ago, uh, Blue reached out to me and said, "Hey, I've written this book a while back. Uh, it's called Choosing Life: A Man's Journey Through Alcoholism, uh, Depression, uh, to to Wellness and Self Discovery." And it's a memoir that he wrote about his life. And uh, so immediately, I'm like, "Yes, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love to read." And so I, I chewed through his book, and it's one of the most moving books that I've read in a while. Uh, one, because of the vulnerability that you share about your experience, but also it, it, it spoke to me in a very deep way. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but also along with the book that blue has written, he's also started a website and, uh, a, a movement called creeds living, uh, creeds is an acronym that we'll get into in a few minutes as well. But, um, all of this together is basically helping people understand that alcoholism is a thing. Uh, what some of the steps that you've gone through to find uh, your way through depression into a more balanced and happy life, understanding where you're at, and some of the uh, some of the struggles that might have come with that. Um, and so, again, so for me, having a lot of personal just reflection in this book and also wanting to write a book myself about some of my stuff that I've gone through. Um, this was very inspirational to me. And cool. so blue, thank you so much for being here, brother. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I feel the same, I feel the same way. We haven't had too many long conversations around the yoga studio, but, um, it was all, it's always just uplifting to see you and hear your voice. So thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, so, okay. So you've, 
been through quite a bit, yeah. right? Uh, according to your book, and and again, thank you for your vulnerability. I yeah. know it takes a lot to just put everything out there like that. Um, but um, do you mind talking about kind of your journey through uh, what you've gone through, what uh, brought you to write this book, and some of the uh, some of the struggles that you've gone through to get to that point? Yeah. So, um, where do I start? So, in my teens and, and into my 20s, I suffered some loss, um, uh, you know, from a uh, negligent father to friends dying at a young age, mm. just shocking out of nowhere. Uh, mom, another close, close friend that was family. So I went through that loss and I was grieving. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I learned that I was a pretty good drinker of alcohol. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I was, and so I was drinking a lot and that became a big part of my life during my twenties. Uh, and into my thirties, the, the grieving and the fun partying part of alcohol digressed mm-hmm. to, uh, depression and, and, and the ugly side of drinking. Mm. And alcoholism really kicked in. And by the time my, my late 30s and I hit age 40, uh, it had the depression and the alcoholism had just taken over and overwhelmed me. Yeah. And um, after, so about my late 30s, I went from grieving and being depressed to really having depression. Capital D. Big depression. Yeah, yeah, like it was a physical manifestation, and it was taking over my life to the point that shortly after my forty-first birthday, I tried to take my own life, mm. and I spent um, time in the hospital, and I spent time in rehab, and I knew that I needed to stop drinking, and that was just a, that just cleared the path for me to address my depression in my mind. That's how I looked at it. Yeah. And so then I began the journey of understanding my depression, understanding me. And one of the ways that I, uh, went through that introspection reflection was through writing Mm -hmm. and reading and talking and listening and then writing about it. Um, and as I was writing, I had this idea for a book, you know, and it took me 10 years to, from the initial idea, I found a document that had this seed that then evolved into two or three different iterations uh-huh. to what is out today. But that was a 10 year process of writing and revising and, and figuring out what I wanted the book to say. Yeah. Um, and then what really, what really has pushed me to say, okay, I'm taking all this writing. I want to turn it into a book and publish a book mm-hmm. was the research that I did on depression, uh, suicide attempts, the demographics, you know, I'm a middle-aged guy mm-hmm. and the, the, the amount of people that are feeling depression, having mental illness, suicidal thoughts, attempting suicide, it just grows exponentially. It seems like it's just growing huge and it's gotten to be a really big problem. And I thought, 
if there's some way I can help, I can raise my hand mm -hmm. and just say, hey, I've been there. This was my story. Maybe it might mean something to somebody else. Yeah. And, and so that's why the book got published. And, and so I just hope it ends up, you know, I hope it just ends up in the right hands at the right time. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, you know, when we put something out there like that, it, I think it will reach the right people at the right time. You know, we, we were talking a little bit before we hit record about, about my, you know, this project for me, this, this, uh, this podcast that I have. And, uh, you know, it's, Every time that I feel, because this 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 is just this is a project of love, right? This isn't something that I'm making money at. I'm not generating revenue, but and and so sometimes my my old brain, my my corporate brain, you know, pops in and says, "Hey, Adam, you should be doing something that generate revenue, right?" Because that's my my qualifier back in the day of like if I'm not making money in some kind of way, either for me or for the company, then it's wasted time. Mm -hmm. So that voice comes back in every once in a while, but. Then I'll have a conversation with somebody. I'll get a text from somebody. I'll get an email that says, this episode really helped me, really gave me something to, to understand, helped me understand something about myself that I was searching for. And that's that's all the income I need, right? And that was, that's, that was those beautiful moments that these things find the the listeners or the readers or the person that needs that help, you yeah. know? And that's, uh, but but putting that stuff out there, is is something that I think is part of that that healing journey in our own, right? Coming face to face and understanding that these are things that happen in our lives, but we're also bigger than those things. We can move past those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have to like scrape the bottom of the barrel in our own way to understand that that's not where we want to be. Right. You know, with you know looking back at at your journey now um, through alcoholism. And through, um, you know, because a lot of what you talk about, like drinking through our teens and twenties, a lot of us experience that in a very like joyous way. It's like, that's just part of life. We drink, right. Yeah. We go out and we party, we celebrate to drink, we loathe to drink, we grieve to drink. Right. right. Um, but there's this, this, this thing about drinking in general. Now, looking back where you're at now, looking back at, like, at the depression lens, right? Yeah. Can you see some of those things, some of those those markers, those triggers that that happened in your life that led you through depression and led you through more drinking to mask the depression and not actually facing what you needed to face at those times? Yeah, I think I think one of the things, and and I'm still, you know, I think I I will always be in recovery, and I think for me that's a blessing, that's a good thing. Yeah, I. I I feel like that gives me the inspiration to keep growing as a person and learning and evolving. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, so I'm still, you know, to some extent, I'm still exploring a lot of my past. Yeah. But th I think that what happened for me personally was these traumatic moments happened around the same time that I was experimenting and exploring with alcohol. Hmm. And so the alcohol, I, I, the alcohol uh, um, blocked me from being able to emotionally grow. So mm -hmm. between, you know, we grow physically to about age 18, but then between 18 and our late 20s, there's a lot of emotional growth right. that happens. That was the times. That was the time where the trauma hit me, and I really started drinking hard. Mm. And 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 so at the time it was fun, but what I didn't know was that the alcohol was inhibiting 
a, a, a big part of my growth of myself. And so, um, and so then I didn't process that trauma right. in, in maybe a way that would have been more optimal. I, how we process trauma is an individual thing and there are many different ways to go through it. But the only thing that you, you kind of have to do is go through it and process it, right? right? And yep. get to acceptance. I never did that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I was young. I um, and and I and maybe I didn't have adult guidance around me. Who knows all right. the reasons that it could have? But so then, as my life grows and my life gets bigger, and I'm now in my 30s and I have a career and mm-hmm. I've got a family and I've got responsibilities and mortgages and talking about revenue. I want to make more money next year than I did last year. So there's all these. There's life that happens. Right. I don't know that I was able to deal with life properly mm. because of the trauma alcohol combination. Right. And so for me, whatever my chemical makeup is, I that's where depression just just took hold and 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 owned me yeah. for a while and wow. really grew and evolved. Yeah. And once it starts, it's, it's hard to get a handle on that like oh. from my own personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I became aware. So I've, I, I've, uh, became aware that I suffer from depression pr- within this year. Uh, my mom passed away in September. And so I had a lot of diagnosed with cancer in February, passed away in September. So it's kind of like eight months, you know, a little, little swing there. Wow. And, um, when my dad passed away in, in uh, about 13 years ago, I was still drinking a lot. I was still very in a, in a dark place. I wasn't meditating. I didn't do yoga. And, uh, and so when my mom, when I found out my mom had the potential of passing away, um, I immediately looked at the way I handled my dad's passing, which was not very healthy. And I looked at where the ways that I could potentially handle it now and saw all the peaceful practices I put into place mm-hmm. and all like the bumpers, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, because life's going to catch us every once in a while. Right. Yes. So it's good to have those practices already laid, yep. laid out, but it's still like, it, it still took me into a very internal place where I could look at a lot of these emotions. But in, and when I started looking at that, I noticed myself in depressive states. Mm-hmm. And when I look back, um, in my life, what I can kind of, attach it to the, where, where I started to notice depression kind of moving in and out of my life was when I first started meditating. And, you know, when we first start meditating, sometimes we get this mirror put in front of us that shows us all the stuff that we're not really proud of about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, I wasn't equipped whether through talk therapy or through friends that I had in life to help me unpack that. And so a lot of that stuff that I didn't like about myself, myself, I was an absent father. I was an alcoholic. I used a lot of drugs at the time doing all these things that, that didn't reflect the path that I was walking towards, but I didn't know how to justify that. I didn't know how to rectify that with myself. So I just went into these depressive states. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I can say probably every year I go through about 10 to 12 weeks of depression throughout that year. And, um, and it's, it's, it's gripping, you know, and as much as now I'm aware of it, I still find myself in it. Uh, now I have more practices to help me understand where I'm at and pull myself out, but there's still those, I still find myself there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, um, for me, the, what the, the term that I use in my head and is, uh, walking down the dark path. Okay. And, um, 
And to me, the end of the dark past is, is no longer living mm. by your own choice, like right. not just making it to a hundred. Yeah. Right. So, you know, some sort of, you know, suicidal thinking and maybe uh, taking action. Yeah. So that's the end of the dark path. And I've been down there and it's scary mm. and it is frustrating and it's confusing and it's isolating. And so, uh, but like you said, I'm still human. I'm still susceptible to depressive thoughts and depressive times. And so that, so I say, I, I, I put one foot down that dark path mm-hmm. from time to time because that's just part of who I am. But I never want to put two feet down that dark path because then it, it's, it's, that's when it gets scary. So yeah, I think, um, and that's again, why I consider myself to be in sort of in recovery all the time is, is that I, I'm aware of that. Right. And, and I'm, and I see it and then I realize, oh, okay, here I am. What caused that? And, and what are the things that I can do? The healthy things, mm. like you said, the healthy things to do to get out of it. But, yeah. um, but you know, but even 12 years into it, I'm still learning and still right. experiencing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the emotional stunting, um, thing for me was, was something that I, I don't think I was aware of until I started, I, I quit drinking and, you know, I think I was, I had this, this misguided notion that, okay, I quit drinking, all my bad stuff's going to stop. Right? <laughs> right. You know, cause that's, right. that was the trigger, right? Is yeah. the drinking. Yeah. But to your point, what you're talking about with the emotions, you know, I, since I started, I started drinking heavily at like 20, 21, right before I had my first kid and pretty much my, my drinking it, it, so in my eyes, I was never like a sloppy drunk. I never got drunk to the point of like, you know, blacking out all the time on a regular basis. There was definitely points, but I was, I was drunk every day from the point of like 22 until I quit drinking. Like I, I drank every single day. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so when I finally quit drinking, it took me about a year to get all that shit out of my system, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but again, I thought I was like, okay, cool. I quit drinking. Everything's cool. I could see clearly now I could feel all the emotions, but that emotional stunting really pulled in. And I felt like I, I realized that there was this child that was driving all my emotions because that's where my emotions stopped was when yeah. I was like 17. Yeah. The development of that, of how to, how to handle fear, how to handle handle anxiety, how to handle depression. All that was just stunted by the alcohol. So when I finally got that out of my system, I almost, I, th- I think I went through an experience of all of those emotions on a very, very like strong level because I'd never really fully embraced them before. And so that was scary for me too, to just go back and like, okay, I've removed the thing that was the trigger in my life, but now I'm feeling all the anxiety and the depression and the sadness and all these things again, even stronger. And it took me a minute to understand what my body was doing. It was basically teaching me saying, okay, now you have clear mind. Now you have a clear head. You have a clear understanding of your emotions, put them to the test because you're going to have to understand how these emotions manifest in your body and and how this new atom is going to handle these emotions. Right. Because I never actually cried. I never actually felt depression. I never actually felt fear. I just masked it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, and you can, um, I didn't look at it at the time when I was, when I would, when I was drinking, I, up until, you know, up until the end, you know, the last three years or so, maybe five years, Mm -hmm. but for a long time, I only drank because of some sort of celebratory happy point or we're going out live music Thursday, Friday, whatever, right? Uh-huh. I was never purposely drinking to mask. It wasn't like 
Today was awful. I don't want to feel anymore. That's how it started out. Mm. Um, and and th- then, but then what happened was I noticed that when I would get drunk, which was every time I drank, mm-hmm. like I was either going to have one drink, I was going to have all the drinks. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there was no in between. Uh-huh. Right. So I would have all the drinks and I would, and I would, then I would get sad. And, and, and then that happened once every six months, then once every four months. And then it was every time. Mm. And then I got to the point after being drunk where I was either sad or mad. So now I'm mad at the world for whatever. I didn't know. I was just mad. Yeah. So then I was sad or mad. So then drinking, even though it started out as this positive thing, say at four o'clock in the afternoon or noon or whenever you started, right. um, it ended up bad every time. And, uh, and so, and, and I, I knew, I just knew that I, I couldn't keep doing that, Right. but I didn't, it had become such a part of my life that I didn't know what else I was going to do. Right. You know, and I think that's the people that I talk, have talked with in the last, let's say eight years, uh, who are exploring sobriety or, or looking at becoming alcohol free, which I think is a great term that I just learned about, by the way, going alcohol free. I think that's a, that's a interesting great term. term to look at it. Yeah. I haven't heard that before. I, like I have, I just read about it about a month ago. Hmm. Um, a woman who, um, Valerie Valley, I think is her name. Anyway, she's, she's a sober coach and I read an article and she used the term alcohol free. And I thought that was so great, but either way, sobriety or going alcohol free one of the my biggest concerns and worries for them and hopes mm-hmm. is what are you going to do with your time? Right. You know? Yeah. So much of your time has been spent planning the drinking, doing the drinking, recovering from the drinking. Now you have hours upon hours. And then like you said, then that's after about a year, that's where your emotional... Then all of a sudden, all these feelings are happening and you're like, <laughs> what's up with that yeah you know but um and then that's you know that's where finding those positive outlets comes into play but but i think that's that that's what's to me that's one of the hardest things if not the hardest thing for somebody who has realized that they don't want to drink like they used to Mm -hmm. what are you going to do now yeah you know that was um that was a a hard thing for me to because i i came so for my journey I think I, I came to that question before I stopped drinking and it helped me understand that I was playing a character and the character that I played was the guy that drank wine every night. And it was something that at the time I was working in restaurants and my staff knew I loved wine. They would bring me wine all the time. I was, I had wine menus. I'd wine vendors all the time coming and dropping off cases of wine. Adam, try this. You'll love it. Here's a case just in case, you know, I'm like fucking great, man. I have wine all the time. Right. And I, that became what people knew me as. Oh, Adam loves wine. We're going to get him wine for his birthday. Get him wine for Christmas. Get him wine to celebrate the, the achievements in work and all this shit. So I became the wine drinking guy. Right. I love my wine. And so when I started to think about what my life was going to be like without alcohol, that character popped in and be like, well, what are people going to give me for my birthday and Christmas? <laughs> what are, how are people going to celebrate me? I'm yeah. the wine guy. I'm the fucking wine guy. Right. <laughs> and, and so in, in looking at, you know, uh, uh, reading your book and, and knowing a little bit about your work history, working in sales, 
that's a very, very drink heavy kind of yes. atmosphere, you know, and I never worked in sales, but working in restaurants, there were salespeople all around us all the time yeah. trying to sell us stuff. Or when I worked for Red Hook, I had salespeople in part of my departments. And so that was celebrate. We, we hit the, we hit the target. We're going to go drink. We missed the target. We're going to go drink. We're going to, whatever it was, we're going to go drink. Yeah. Right. And so being in that industry also, and moving away from drinking, and with the understanding of like these characters that we play, was that something that kind of played into your apprehension maybe to stop drinking, being in the industry that you're in and having it revolve around so much celebratory drinking? For sure. For sure. I was, it's funny that you bring up gifts. I had this birthday that, so I was Jack Daniels was my thing. That's right. So I, I, was, seen that. I was a whiskey guy <laughs> uh-huh. and I had this one birthday and seven out of eight presents were a Jack Daniels thing. There was a Jack Daniels cookbook. There was a Jack Daniels sign, T-shirt, and, you know. And and I, so I was, uh, you know, Jack and and beer, Jack mm-hmm. and beer, shot of Jack and beer. That was, and and that that was years before I was deep into depression, but that hit me hard. Like, holy crap! Yeah, is this all? You know, I am. I'm like, wait a sec, I. You know, I thought I, I like play sports, right? I mean, right. like I think that I'm a business guy, right? But am I, is that all I am? Right. And, 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 and even though I asked that question of myself years before I stopped drinking, it, it, I just set it aside and just kept on going. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and so I was, in fact, I had a, I had a sales manager <clears throat> who, um, who called in addition to being the revenue team, he was like, we're the social coordinators of the company. Okay. It's our responsibility to take all the other people, the parts of the company, HR and accounting and engineering and, and, and we're taking them out and we're partying and we're showing them how to party. Cause that's what we do well. Right. That's what sales does. And we need, <laughs> right. So there was internal pressure wow. in addition to taking clients out to ball games and nice dinners and maybe buying them a bottle of wine that they wouldn't normally buy on their own, you know, celebrating this or just, so it was part of life. And so I, I tried to go back into sales after rehab Mm -hmm. and it was really weird. It was really weird. It, there was an event, we were going to have an offsite and I knew there was going to be drinking and I just couldn't go. Right. But I, I kind of didn't want to admit it was a company I just started working for. I kind of didn't want to admit to them that I wasn't drinking anymore. Okay. Cause then I was an alcoholic then it's and the then thing. I was a loser. Right. So, cause it was still early in the stage where I still was struggling with it. Yep. Sell the stories, you know? Right. So I bought two fifths of alcohol and I gave it to them to take on their offsite trip and I made up some excuse because I knew that if I was going to go I was going to drink for like 48 hours right and and if I and if I didn't drink then I was going to be a loser right in my mind this is what I'm telling myself in yep. those early days of sobriety so yeah so it becomes a persona and and I think and I think that's part of it. One is getting alcohol out of your system. Right. But the other is, those are the questions to me that were the bigger questions was who am I? 
you know, who am I now? Yeah. Because I, I almost defined myself by party blue. Right. Or Jack Daniels blue mm-hmm. or, you know, so now what? Yeah. You know, and I think, and, and I, and I, and I think this is a big thing for, for the type of environment that I was in kind of a type A, you know, um, athletic, try to make money, go do a marathon, you know, just go get her always pushing, pushing, pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, it started to play on my, if I wasn't that anymore, cause that didn't feel comfortable to me, to me anymore. Who was I? Yeah. And really started me thinking about my own self-confidence and self-esteem and who am I? Right. Yeah. But in, and like you said, those are the big questions that, that finally, I, I feel lucky that I get to work on those. But at the time, the first time you start thinking about that stuff, it's scary and yeah. big questions. And it's like, Ooh, mm. do I really want to go there? Can I go there? Right. Yeah. So that was, uh, when those questions first popped <clears throat> in my head, um, my immediate answer was I can't work in this industry anymore. Mm. And, and that scared me because I'd been there for almost 20 years in that industry and, and built myself up from like, you know, hourly to regional operation managers, like upper management, all this stuff. And so like I was tracking, you know, theoretically on all the things we needed to, right. I had insurance, I had growth potential, I had bonuses I was catching and all this stuff. And, uh, and I was quote unquote good at what I did. I, I managed people well, I built teams well, I was very diplomatic on how I dissolved teams if I needed to do that, all this shit. But everything was revolved around drinking. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I, once I came to that conclusion, again, like you were saying, it was years before I could finally make the decision. But once I finally did and I knew how bad it was going to get worse, right? It was, it was already bad where I was, where I finally realized that. And it was on the track of becoming much, much worse. My only way in my head to, to, to deal with that is to, to quit my job and to, to leave that industry. And luckily I had yoga at the time, you know, I was, I was doing yoga and I, and I had this passion about teaching that I hadn't explored yet. And so I had like almost a backup plan, if you will. Like it, it's interesting. Cause like when I look back at my life now and all these tough decisions that I've been put in that, uh, that I've had to make, I, I can see the buffers that were put around me. Right. And whatever you want to believe in, you know, your higher power of whatever sort. Right. And so that, that kind of idea came into my head of, Okay, you're not gonna you're not gonna be successful in in life if you stay where you're at, right? Right. You need to figure something else out. And now we've covered this buffer with yoga and this holistic kind of thing that you've now dipped a toe into. So if you remove yourself from this alcohol filled restaurant that that you're the one that has the problem with, it's not the industry itself, right? I got to take myself out of it. And luckily now I have this holistic net to catch me in, mm-hmm. and the beautiful yoga community that's that's very open and, and loving and empathic. And so it was very nice for me to be able to leave that industry and, you know, somewhat smoothly transition to something else. There were still a lot of rocks, a lot of bumps, a lot of bruises on the way, but you know, it was, it was very, um, it was very easy transition in a way to get out of that and to get into something different. But that was a hard decision to make to get out of that. And because, you know, I put so much time and effort into that. I have a family, you know, I have people supporting and, uh, and I basically just pulled the rug out from all that and said, no, I can't do this. My yeah. health is more important to me, to me than this. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really hard. I think, um, and I, 
I still don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Right. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and I think um, one thing that I learned in in uh, in my recovery and in writing this book was was the difference between self confidence and self esteem. Mm. Self confidence is is external. It's the skills that you have and the traits that you have. And self-esteem is internal. Yeah. It's how you feel about yourself. And and because at the time I thought I was a good drinker, I thought that mattered. Right. And I was making more money than the average Joe. I thought that mattered. Right. And I was getting promotions and I could travel and all these sorts of things. And I and and I was looking as at that as what defined me. Right. And so breaking free from that is was hard yeah you know and then i was left with well then what does define me you know and it and it took me years to finally just accept the fact that i'm okay just as i am right like without the stuff yeah um but that was that was hard and i and i wonder and what and i think this was you know part of the reason why I wrote some chapters that I did in the book is because I wonder how many, and I'll just speak towards, well, I'd, and I speak towards the people that are successful in business or have or enjoy external accolades in whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Um, should we begin to explore, is that, is our external things making us feel good? Right. Or can we feel good about ourselves just on our own? Yeah. And can we find self-esteem and self-worth and self-value without all this external stuff? I think that's that's a, that's a hard challenge. thing to explore. Yeah. That's a hard thing to explore. But in my own experience, it's almost like once you once you spend your 20s and whatever amount of time chasing the top of the ladder and then you bounce back and you focus internally. Yeah. I have found that so many more things open up. Your world becomes bigger externally once you become comfortable internally. Yeah. And so that was part of my recovery Hmm. was going through that process. Yeah. That was a, the, the the chapters on self-esteem really helped me a lot. And I I thank you for writing those. Um, I, I didn't really, I think I didn't realize my low self-esteem um, was as um, as impactful in my in my the way that I just am in life um, until really kind of reading those chapters and, and and ruminating about it because like externally like you were saying like you know I I achieve things right you know yeah. all the the external things that I needed were there you know house car kids blah 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 all the things but. I wasn't happy with who I was even after I quit drinking. Right. This is, this is like just weeks ago, you know, and I, and this exploring what actually makes me happy. What, what drives me to be the human that I want to be, what drives me to get out of bed every day, you know, and I never, it, it's taken me a while to really understand that, that I never really defined that for myself. And I was just kind of getting up and moving through life. Yeah. Like I had some goals I was trying to reach. I had some understandings, but I never really felt, uh, 
internally that I was confident enough to do those things. It was just more of like this habitual, I'm used to doing things. If I don't fill my day with things and I don't feel productive, you know, and so what things am I going to do today just so I can check shit off my list? Well, sitting with myself and, and understanding that wasn't one of those, even though I meditate all the time, Yeah, you know, so having, having self-esteem and building that, that, that confidence in yourself is, uh, is such a big, big journey. Yeah. And yeah. And I don't know if it's, um, yeah, it's, and I don't know that it's something that really, uh, whether it's Americans or society or men or what, but you know, it's not something that is really taught and talked about and explored because, you know, historically the examples for men are these tough hero or quarterback of the football team or CEO Mm -hmm. type guys. And, um, and and you never know what's under you know what's inside those people what's under those you know mm-hmm. and so um it's not an obvious thing like oh you hit age 40 or 45 or 50 now is the time to start exploring yourself right how's your self esteem buddy <laughs> you know how are you feeling right uh-huh. so we don't it's and, and so it is a little bit of a struggle and you do need to find these communities like yoga mm-hmm. or whatever community you're comfortable with, um, to help and assist you in, in that. Yeah. There was a, an interview I, wa- I watched a while back, um, with, uh, Pharrell, who's a music producer mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was, uh, it, it, it was, it started off as a, as a kid, probably uh, this gentleman in his like probably early teens, 16, 17 years old. And it said, this just showed this kid, said, man, I want to be like Pharrell. I wish I had his talents. I wish I had his drive, right? All the things that this person loved about what Pharrell does. And then it cut to Pharrell. And Pharrell said, basically, he's like, okay, you could have all that, but you also have the anxiety. You have the depression. You have the OCD to make sure that everything is perfect. You have all the nuances, all the quirks, all the things that make me go fucking crazy. You don't see that. All you see is the, what you desire. So if you want all that, you got to take everything else with it. Interesting. And we don't really understand that, you know. Like I look at my some of my mentors, like oh, man, I wish I could hold conversations like that guy. Man, I wish I could I could have uh, I could I could terminate somebody and get a hug afterwards, right. right? But you have to go through how many terminations and how many <laughs> like heartbreaks of those conversations right. and see the you know see somebody's world crash down because you've just taken their job away from them to find the way to still make them feel good about that. And that journey to do that is very hard on the human being. And like all those steps to get to where we think that pinnacle of whatever is, we don't realize all the work that goes into that and all the nuances of craziness that goes into that shit. Right. Right. And so like, well, we can really understand that as ourselves and understand like we've gone through some shit, right? I don't have to be Pharrell to have gone through depression, anxiety, and, you know, suicidal thoughts. Like that's just me who I am. Right. So the fact that I'm having this conversation with you, I have a smile on my face, you know, I have a roof over my head. It's a fucking great day. Yeah. You know, and those are those things that, that, that self-esteem, those gratitude practices now yeah. that, that have really helped me to get to the point of appreciating just this conversation, yeah. you know, appreciating the small things in life, yeah. you know, not having to have a scoreboard that I'm like checking things off and I'm climbing the whatever ladder and I'm doing all the things. Hey, my kid went to school today. Fucking success. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. I think, yeah. And that's, I don't know. I don't know if it's alcoholism or depression or a mental illness or whatever, but 
but uh, living like not being here now in the moment and and having gratitude for that, mm. and either you know thinking about the future, like what should I be doing, you know, to to get this or that, or regret from the past, right? right? Living in the past, living in the future, um, whatever caused that in me, I, that's all how how I lived all the time was I was either freaking out about the future or grieving or regretting the past. Right. And, and one of the, and like you said, just being here now in this moment is mm-hmm. amazing. Right. Right. But boy, when you have depression or when you're drinking and that alcohol is swirling around in your head, it's really hard to see that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I've been there for sure. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it is one of the greatest gifts that my recovery has brought is being present and being grateful there for you go. sure. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. One of our, uh, I'm pretty sure you know Tang, right? Yeah. Tang teaches over yep. So one of our uh, mutual friends, Tang, um, he's my he's been my meditation mentor for about 12 years now, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And I just love this man to death. And, and one of the things that he taught me very early on about that presence, right? Because again, you know, like the anxieties worry about the future. Like you were saying, depressions worry about the shit in the past. How can we be present? Cause in this present moment, nothing's hurting you, right? I have my breath. I have my peace of mind. I have my constitution. And so one of the things he told me was that your breath can never be in the past or the future. Your breath is always present, hmm. right? You can't breathe in the past. You can't breathe in the mm-hmm. future. So if we focus on our breath and I sit and meditate and the, what he taught me was, feeling the the breath leave my nostrils and brush across the top of my lip. And then when it comes back in, I have this cool breeze coming across the top of my lip going back in and just focus on that breath because our breath is always here. It's mm-hmm. always present. And that was one of those first things that, that I was taught to get me out of that depression, anxiety, like loop that we get into yeah. is just focus on your breath. And it wasn't like a light switch. Okay, cool. Now I'm just going to do that the rest of my life. But when I feel that depression and that anxiety and that non-presence come in, you know, I can sit and meditate if I have the time, but I can also just sit and just breathe through my nose and feel that presence and just remember like, okay, I'm right here. I don't have to worry about two weeks from now when my kid's going to be here and all the Christmas bullshit and all that stuff. No, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here in this moment. Yeah, that's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. That's part of uh, yoga for me. Mm. Um, and especially, and, and why I got into the hot yoga is because for me personally, it's physically demanding. Yes. Um, and it's, and it's even even hot, both hatha yoga and and power vinyasa yoga, both types of practices are physically demanding when you're in that heat. Mm-hmm. And so, to to first get into a pose and then to stay in that pose and maybe even stretch it a little bit more than you did yesterday um, takes complete concentration for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it becomes meditative Yeah, because and you can't even think about the person next to you. You can't even think about outside before, after you have to be completely in that moment. And then tomorrow and yesterday fade away right. and you're just right there. And, and that becomes a meditative. That's my favorite part of yoga. When I get into that and then you've, and you're like, whoa, what just happened for the last, you know, 60 <laughs> seconds or two minutes? Uh-huh. Right? And you're like, oh, okay. And then you, and, and you get out a little bit and then you get back into the moment. But um, that, 
is why I fell in love with hot yoga and why it's my core, one of my very core parts of my life, both physically and non-physically yeah. for my wellness, for sure. Yeah. It's such a, I just love it. I just really do. You know, it works. I, I, so I work with a lot of people in recovery, uh, different forms of recovery, whether it's narcotic recovery, alcohol, depression, and, uh, and two things that, that seem to work very, help them a lot. I shouldn't say work, but help a lot is hot yoga. Um, that movement active practice, because a lot of times, like what I've seen with the people that I work with, they're, they're intense, right? There is this intensity level behind them and yoga can help activate that intensity in a healthier way. Can get those endorphins rushing, can get that blood cocktail moving without the toxins. Right. And that's a beautiful thing because sometimes we, we do need that activation. Right. And the other side of that is sound healing. Sound therapy has been very, very helpful for a lot of people that I know in recovery because, you know, a lot of times, depending on your substance of choice, we activate a lot in our bodies that we're not really aware of. And so our bodies can become very, very stimulated or very depressed. And sound healing has a way of balancing a lot of that stuff out. Um, energy work in general does, you know, so the combination of yoga, which is an active movement, which helps with depression, because if we're moving our bodies, we, we get those, those endorphins rushing, we get our, you know, brain cocktail going and we're not, you know, we're not as in in those depressive states. And, uh, and having that, uh, that energy work helps with the anxiety because we're quelling a lot of the overactive energy in the body and we're kind of pushing it back into a more balanced state. Yeah. And so those two things have been really helpful for both me as, as somebody that's in recovery and helping people in recovery. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, you mentioned the energy work and, um, I'm, I'm still learning about that side of my person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, my aunt was um, a massage therapist and uh, and she was um, she went to the University of Oregon in the 70s and she was a good solid hippie yeah and ended up on the Oregon coast for a long time and and she was in my mind was pretty early on in terms of understanding of thinking about energy work and thinking about mind body spirit connection mm-hmm. and, and she was the one she played two roles for me one was um, she was the first one that called what I what was wrong with me depression. Okay. So so I was on the, I was driving to work, and uh, and I and I was and it, this had been going on for months, but I just was I was bawling, hmm. just driving to work, and I called my aunt and she said, "Honey, you're depressed," and I thought, "What? Hmm. What are you talking about?" So she was right, but. That's a that's a hard thing to hear. Yeah. When supposedly your life is going good. Right. Yeah. Externally everything's good. Internally, you're sitting there on the freeway and you can barely even see because you got tears running down your eyes. Yeah. So so that was that was a big thing that she did for me was to bring that out in front of me and make me think about it because mm. that the first step to then moving on. Yeah. But the other thing that she, with her energy work, was she, you know, I grew up with playing sports, and then my career was sales, business, money, money, money. Right. And that's how you were measured. So I, you know, and so like you, you mentioned, I have a chapter in my book called Scoreboard, and so that's, mm. that's how I lived. And, and she was the one part of my life when I was younger that kept 
like bringing my focus around to the non-material world, yeah. the non-material success, the non-physical, <clears throat> non-physical health, mm -hmm. spirituality, and and that's some that's something I'm still exploring to this day. What's spirituality? What's the spiritual world? What right. does all that mean? But she was the one, and so she introduced that side of well-being and wellness and self and the person. Um, but um, so when you talk, it's interesting when you talk about energy work, I always think about my aunt because yeah. she was the first one that really brought that to my attention, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this was like in the eighties or something. Yeah. Before it was, it was like, like buzzwords. And yeah. And now, it. yeah. And now yoga and wellness and, and mind, body, spirit connection. And we're understanding the gut biome in relationship right. to the brain yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh-huh. She was like planting those seeds a long time ago. And, yeah. And that's, you know, and she, and, and that's part of Creed's living is, mm -hmm. uh, is, is, is combining the, the physical health with the non-physical health. But yeah, um, I, yeah. So I love hearing more about energy work because I, I still have a lot to learn yeah. on that front. Well, and it's like that, that whole, it's the holistic, right? It's the yeah. whole body, right? The yeah. whole human being. How do we look at you as a human being yeah. and figure out the best pattern for or the best path for you, for your wellness? You know, I love, I love being able to look back in our lives and see those little Easter eggs that were put in place, Yes. whether or not we, we fully embraced and understood why they were there at the time. But when we look back, it's like, oh man, freaking ant. That's right. You were way ahead of your time. 40 years later and I'm doing all the things you were talking about, you know, I, know. I love that. I have, I, I have people like that in my life that I look back when I was heavy into drugs and, and doing a lot of things that nefarious kid shit and that, that I saw that I can look back and I feel these people that were just keeping me safe. You know, that, that, yeah. that, that would give me like a little nugget to something to think about when I was in whatever space of mind that I was in, right. a parent of a friend that was what I would consider the cool parent, but was actually like, no, I'm actually just to save your life. I'm just here to save <laughs> right. your life right now, you know? Right. And these little things, these little bumpers that were put in our, in our path to keep us, you know, keep us safe while we just figured out life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like that term because th there are, and, um, yeah, and I don't know why. I guess it's just part of growing up that we don't appreciate it while it's happening. <laughs> but I feel, yeah, I mean, I feel so fortunate for all of the bumpers that were in my life. Um, uh, because, you know, there's, I do, there's times I wonder I, a couple of steps in another direction, you know, and I might not be here sitting talking to you right right now, yeah. you know? And, and so I, um, and so I know for sure that, you know, this whole process that's gotten me here is, didn't happen on my own. Right. That's for sure. Right. That's for sure. And again, we get back to, you know, why the book? Yeah. You know, so can I be a bumper for somebody? Exactly. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yep. You Maybe. never know. And, and all of a sudden, like somebody reaches out and said, hey, this is this impacted me in this way yeah and it's like well okay wow yeah i guess i am somebody's bumper now <laughs> yeah so uh so how did how did creeds kind of come out of that so creeds living how did this kind of was this already an idea that you had before the book or was this kind of spurred from your recovery through writing the book and then it was actually so it's interesting it was actually a precursor to the memoir okay my initial writing was me making sense of, I kind of, I have, 
me trying to make sense and organize my thoughts because coming out of a suicide attempt, alcoholism, depression, like you said, with all these emotions, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And there's so much to learn and there's so much to work on, uh, as you, you know, it's like, you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so me trying to make sense out of recovery, wellness, myself, I, I began and, and, uh, sort of my sales and marketing experience, I, I started to play around with what are the different aspects of wellness. Mm. And it almost was forming a plan for myself for my recovery. What do I need to work on? Right. All these things I need to work on. And and so I'll explain a little bit about what, what, what Creed's Living is, but it was, it was taking a part of me that had existed my entire life, it was taking these seeds that sort of my aunt had planted mm-hmm. around her viewpoint of wellness and health and then reading that I did. And so, so there's really three aspects to Creed's living. There's, um, there's what I, the health quote unquote healthy that I grew up with, which was pretty much physical health. Okay. It was, you know, uh, lifting weights and running marathons and um, and your weight mattered and your body fat mattered and that's all that mattered. That's that's healthy. Gotcha. And so that that was my initial and I think that's still today what a lot of society thinks as healthy. I thought that for a very long time. Right? Yep. You know, I mean, if you can run a 10K or if you can bench press this amount or if you look good in a bathing suit, you're physically healthy. Right. Or, I mean, you're healthy. And then... As I'm reading and I'm learning about brain chemistry as it relates to alcoholism and any sort of addiction, I'm learning about spirituality and connection with other people and I'm, I'm learning about emotions mm-hmm. and emotional health and, and intelligence. You know, there's these sort of IQ or EQ, sort of emotional quotient, not just IQ. Mm. So what's our, so there's all these non-physical things that, play into your health right um and i learned from my my naturopath that i go to that enough most enough bad emotional toxins can build up and manifest themselves physically Mm. so there's a there's a non non non-physical health and physical health that plays into it so creates is an acronym for six parts of your life that I sort of work for me in terms of how I view life and living and recovery and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the and the six are the acronym is connection, reflection, expression, exercise, diet, sleep. Mm-hmm. So C R E E D S. Okay. So with connection and reflection and expression, those sort of fall in the non-physical health realm. Okay. Sleep, diet, exercise follows in the physical health. Yeah. But they all play in each other because if you're not getting enough sleep, you get emotionally drained and you can, right? And um, if you're not connecting with other people, you may not want to exercise. And so they all play on each other. Mm-hmm. But creeds, I also, but in my reading and research about what worked for other people, what helped other people overcome depression or overcome alcoholism. I 
kept hearing about the low percentages of success that's out there. A lot of people relapse in whatever addiction that they have regularly. Yeah. A lot of people set a goal to achieve some level of health and it only lasts 90 days or six months or maybe it's a year. Right. And the driving factor I kept running into was a sense of purpose. Mm. Why am I going through the effort to change myself so that I can grow and evolve um, and be more content with who I am. Why, why would I go through that effort? It's hard, yeah. right? Like if you're stuck in the restaurant industry, if you're stuck in sales, it's hard to make those changes. So you need a purpose, right. a big purpose. And that's what your creeds are. Those are your beliefs, your value system that drives you. And historically creeds have been associated with a religion mm -hmm. but um the true meaning of the word is just your own personal belief system your values and today you could use the term mission statement yep okay since that's a big creeds are your mission statement mm. and so if you're going to go through the effort to stop drinking to change your career such that you can be content and wake up every day thriving and and happy you need to find your creeds. Like, why am I doing this? Right. Right. Yeah. Why am I making all these changes? Because it, it's one, it's scary, but two, it's hard. Yeah. And so that's the, that's what creeds living is. It's living by your creeds, the word creeds, but then it's thinking about those six aspects of your life, mm. the acronym creeds as well. Yeah. So it, it and so it grew out of some of my own personal experiences before my attempt, mm -hmm. um, and it really started to take hold in my own research, um, reading and listening and talking during recovery. Yeah, and so so the book Choosing Life, my memoir, the initial seed was really around creeds, those that acronym. Wow, and then I wrote this big self help thing that was like 500 pages okay and it included some of my own experiences but it also was like more of a self-help mm -hmm. and so i shared that with some people and and the feedback that i got was well creed's living could be good but your story is the most powerful so why don't you pull your story out and just share that first okay and that's likely to help people and um and then your creeds living thing can go, can be gone forever because yeah. you know, cause it's just, it's a lifestyle. Um, but so choosing life was a subset of creeds living okay. and creeds living grew from my own recovery. Wow. So, so now that's, uh, that's what I get to work on moving forward, um, is, uh, it'll be a website. It'll probably be a book. Mm -hmm. Um, that is talking about those six parts of life and what am I reading? It's going to be, I like, look at it this way. Let me do the research for you. Okay. I'll read all the scientific stuff because I love it. I'll read the books. I'll read the magazine articles. Um, I'll take from two or three or five different sources mm -hmm. and let me boil down into a thousand words 
something about connecting with people right. or something about self-expression or the latest on exercise, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Cause there's always fads out there. And yeah. so, um, I look at Creed's living as sort of, I love, and I have the time fortunately to be able to read all this stuff and talk to all these people like you and other people who are in the recovery world. And let me just boil it down for you. And, and regularly, um, I'll share some new writing with you about what's going on in the world of sleep yeah, or whatever it is. So, so that's what I'm going to be doing moving forward. But for me, it just, it really was a reminder of you've got your physical health, you've got your non-physical health, health, and you've got your purpose. Right. And, and you need to keep those things in mind as you move forward with recovery or growth or wellness, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Yeah. And, you know, taking those moments to define what you're actually living for, you know, I think is a huge thing. You know, a lot of times we just find ourselves in life. Like I love one of the, the, the phrases in my, in my corporate life that I used to love was uh, being promoted to your point of incompetence, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm a good bartender. Yeah. Okay. Now you're going to manage. Okay. I'm a good manager. Now I'm a GM. I'm a good GM. And now I'm the president of the company. How the fuck did I get here? Exactly. Right. And a lot of times I think life happens like that for us. It's like all of a sudden I'm 42 years old and I'm like, wait, wait, who's driving this meat suit? There's a 10 year old driving this meat suit. Where yeah. did that happen? You yeah. know, and so like having having uh, you know steps to look at, reflect internally to you know find things externally, I think is beautiful. But the thing, what I love most about what you're doing here is, and in, in no way am I throwing shade at, at the the AA program, but I love that there's different options now than AA. Yeah. Like I said, AA does really great things for the people that it does good things for, but some people don't want the religious aspect. Some people want a little more freedom in their own choices. So having another avenue for people to look at them, themselves and, and having a, a you know kind of a preset blueprint of saying, hey, how are you feeling connected? Have you reflected on yourself? Are you how are you expressing your your emotions? You know, having this this six letter acronym to go through is beautiful for me. You know, and that's I think that's just adding another level of of, of opportunity for people to find the help that they they really need that will work for them, not that maybe has worked for somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah. I yeah. And I I am not um and I am not an AA guy. Right. I know it works. I think it's great. It's nothing against it. But for me, uh, my wellness and my life, I didn't feel like it stopped at sobriety. Mm. I think there's an assumption in, in the, in the alcoholics world where if you're just sober, everything's fine. Right. And I, I never, that never jived with me. Maybe for some people it it works, but I always felt like I was like the, Clearing the alcohol out of my system, which like you said, it takes about a year. Yeah. It's almost like you got to sweat it out. You got to pee it out. Uh-huh. You got to like, it, and the, if you've been doing it like I did for probably 25 years, right? it takes some time. It doesn't just happen in like a month. Yeah. You got to clear that shit out. Uh-huh. But man, it feels so good. But all that does is then it says, okay, now let's get to work. Yeah. Right. Like now let's start what's really going on here? Like, you know, um, and again, I thought that was an opportunity for me. Maybe that's why I didn't dive full on into AA. I was like, okay. And I think I was also so relieved to stop drinking. I had wanted to stop drinking for three or four years, maybe five. My son was 
four, my daughter was two. So it had probably had been at least four years when I sat there and I was like going, how am I going to be a dad? How am I going to show up at the soccer game at 9 a.m. and be, let's go, right, when yeah. I'm hungover, yeah. maybe still drunk? So it was such a relief for me that I had this, the ultimate reason to stop drinking, which was life. Yep. <laughs> Uh, the ultimate reason was such a release. Oh man, now, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. But again, it was, it was, I, I knew there was more to do, more work to do, more exploring of myself that was out there. And, um, and creeds living and even just the word creeds, like you just say creeds and you're like, Ooh, purpose. Yep. Totally. You know, Oh, Ooh, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And, and that, and I'm still exploring that. And that, that evolves, I think, as, you know, I think there's some core reasons, my children, you know, my health, right. my wife, but it's, there's some other things that sort of evolve. And maybe as you get older, or maybe as you explore something and you realize, oh, man, that's not really for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go down this other path and check it out a little bit. Yep. So it keeps you, but it keeps you like, uh, why am I doing this? Yeah. And then if you start to have some self doubt, you start to question, you're like, oh man, I don't want to do this today. You're like, whoa, whoa, this is why you're doing it. This is a big reason. Okay. I can do this little thing like go meet with somebody or go exercise or eat a salad instead of burger and fries or whatever. Right. Yeah. So so I find just that word creeds, uh, just keeping it in the back of my mind, sort of subconsciously is just like, oh, okay, oh yeah, let's just, this is why we're here. Yep, totally. You know? You know? And it's, you know, when we do define that, then it's, it's, it gives us that purpose. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, when I first, just a recent example for me is, uh, you know, when I got out of restaurants and I started my own business and, and doing this podcast and all this stuff now, you know, there's this, this, these, doubts that pop in, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I on the right path? But you know, it's, it's, I had to clear out all of this uncertainty to be very certain that this is what I wanted to do. But even in that uncertainty, I didn't define it until I came into that clarity of like, okay, what am I actually working for? Right? What's my, why, what's my definition of freedom? Right? Because if I just have freedom, I've always wanted freedom. Well, freedom is like anything can be a possibility. Freedom can be like overwhelming, right? Freedom can Ooh, be decision yes, fatigue. It's like, yeah. oh my God, like there's everything's an option. But when I took the time to define what I wanted my freedom to look like, you know, what, what my days look like, what my work week looked like, that gave me something to reflect back on and come back to when I got, you know, say somebody came and said, hey, I want you to start a business for me and do this thing. Okay, well, that looks good on paper, but that's going to take me out of all these other things I've been working towards, time with my family, time with my kids, this podcast. So that's a no because it takes me out of that. But I didn't have that blueprint before. So having these things like your creeds is that you're you're taking the time to really define the way that you want to live your life and put purpose behind it, Mm -hmm. right? And when we can have that purpose, we have that thing to reflect back on. Hey, um, maybe I feel like drinking today. I look back at my creeds and I'm like, oh shit, no, I'm doing this for X, Y, Z, right? I'm doing this for all these things, for myself, for my family, for my connection to life, for my connection to everybody, right? And if I take this drink, it's going to jeopardize all that. Is that worth it? No, it's not, you know? Right. Like you were saying earlier, meditation was one of the first things that, that, that triggered me to know that I didn't want to drink anymore. And it wasn't that, uh, 
the, the, the thing that, that correlated with me was that my morning meditations, I usually wake up every morning, meditate for about 45 minutes to an hour. I would find myself sleeping because I was so hungover still Ugh. that I would give half of my meditation, if not all my meditation to my, my drunken sleep. Right. And I would still get up. I would still like go through the motions. Hey, I'm getting up at seven o'clock. I'm going to go sit in my, on my cushion, set my timer, light some incense. And then I would just fall back asleep because <laughs> I was just hung over. Yeah. And then finally I was like, well, why am I doing this? What would I rather, what's going to benefit me more meditation or drinking? Clearly it's meditation for me. And that was one of those things I defined. I'm like, okay, I want to meditate. Yeah. This is something I want to do. So how am I going to get this out of my system so I can focus on my depth of meditation? Mm -hmm. But needed that why first. Needed to have some kind of definition. Yeah, the why is so huge. The why is huge. And sometimes, unfortunately, it knocks us over the head and we can't avoid it. Yep. And well, yeah. Yeah, one of the quotes that came out of the, um, so I did a four-part uh, series on suicide prevention and awareness, and one of the quotes that came out of that, um, I have a psychiatrist friend, and uh, he basically said, it's not that we want to die, it's that we don't know how to live anymore. Oh, yeah. And that, yeah. that really hit home with me a lot, with, with the thoughts that I had had, and, and even the, 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 the states of mind that I'd been in. It's like, I don't want to take my life, but I just don't know how to recover from where I'm at. Yeah. I don't know how to rebuild, you know, <clears throat> like I've hit my proverbial like rock bottom and don't know how to pull myself back up. Don't know how to face the people that I've wronged. Don't know how to do all these things. Right. But when we have something that we can reflect back on, when we yeah. have some kind of steps that we can follow, whether it's AA, whether it's your creeds, whether it's your own personal, just desire to live, right. We find that and we step back up and we enter back into life and we, say our apologies, we reconcile what we reconcile and we try to make the best we can of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I, you know, yeah, not knowing how to live, that's, I like that perspective a lot. My, um, my, the biggest shift for me from having depression to where I'm at today is that when I was in depression, I thought that life was bad, hmm. that life was a struggle. It was a hardship and sure every once in a while, something good might happen, but over the course of your lifetime, it's just going to be hurdle, obstacle, hurdle, obstacle. Right. Life is bad. Right. Now that I have cleared alcohol out of my system and I've gone through recovery, I believe with all my being that life is good hmm. and that, people are good, that nature is beautiful, that, and yes, we still have bumps and we still have hurdles for sure. But on the whole, life is good. Mm. And that, to me, if, if somebody were to say, how do you de put depression in a nutshell and not depressed versus depressed or depression versus wellness, life is bad, life is good. And and it's amazing feeling, mm. but when you're in depression, you can't see that. Right. You just, you can't see that. And I, and, and that's the biggest, that's the scariest part of depression is, is, you know, cause now I, when I say life is good and life's beautiful and people are good and the mountains and the animals and the ocean is beautiful. Yeah. You know, I'm like, they think I'm like some Tony Robbins, right. like, <laughs> like, dude, you're no way, no way. Is it like that? Right. Uh huh. And I, I just keep saying it. Cause 
I believe it with all my heart that a well human being sees life as good. Yes. And depression, it just has gray, you're wearing gray glasses Mm -hmm. and you just can't see that. And so it's, uh, um, it's, uh, and now, yeah, and then you know how to live life because it's you see it in a different perspective. Yeah, you know, yeah. Some of the people that I know and, and that I've met in my life that have that outlook that life is good, life is great, gratitude for life, have been through the hardships of life hmm. and have found their way through it. Yeah. You know, have found their reason to live, have found their reason to keep going, have found their reason to stand back up. You know. Um, there's definitely the facade of like, you know, we can just say life is good and not really understand it. But the people that I've met that have really, that really do have that, that, that outlook in life have been through some shit yeah. and have found their reason, you know, and that's, I think, you know, I, I hope that we can get away from the, uh, the, the lessons in life where we have to go through that no. stuff to really understand no. it. But, you know, when we do pull ourselves back up from those dark places and we can find that path that makes sense to us there's a beauty in that and there's a be- there's a there's a rationalization of like no I do want to live I'm choosing to live I'm yeah. choosing this life I'm making sure that my life is going to be going forward yeah. and be growing you yeah. know and not just going to be something that I whatever away drink away drug away you know sex away whatever whatever our, our vices of choice right. right yeah yeah I think so I um I this book came out on September 1st uh around suicide prevention month because okay. the, so that was part of my driving force was I learned in the in the United States that um, there's more suicide death by suicide than death by homicide wow. right now in America and wow. um, and it's it's growing faster than you know the population rate is growing so um, I was so happy to see that you were doing that work around suicide prevention in September. Thank you. Um, because it's uh, it's a scary it's scary yeah it's scary because we don't understand it right you know right and and, and again and that's one reason why your podcast is so great because we don't talk about it it's it's a weird topic it is to talk about yeah and you're so open with your suicidal thoughts and it's just so great because we need to normalize we need to accept the fact. This is one thing that I would love to see us get to a society is, is, is this acceptance that depression is, is, it doesn't discriminate. It's non-discretionary. It doesn't care how much or how little you have of anything, including years, right? It doesn't, it can creep up on you or it can smack you over the head and, um, and and so so then you reduce the stigma. You can say it shouldn't happen to me, right. or how can that person have depression? No way. Look at their life. Right. Well, depression doesn't care. Yep, exactly. Depression doesn't care what your life's like. So you know, almost like you know, it's almost like COVID, right? If somebody gets COVID, you don't sit there and say, "Oh, you're stupid," right? <laughs> you're like, "Dude, unlucky. How'd you get it?" Oh, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost you know. Versus, say, 30 or 40 years ago, cancer. Like, cancer used to be, ooh, shh. Right, yeah. And now we have F cancer. Yep. You know, fuck cancer. Yeah, ribbons for T-shirts, right? Yep. And we're like, and you don't blame that person for getting cancer. You don't think they're a loser. And they don't think, I'm sure that there are some thoughts, like, how did this happen to me? But on the whole, 
it's just happened. Yep. And and we'll deal with it the best we can. Would love to see us get to that point with depression I and agree. other mental illnesses, whether it's bipolar, whether it's manic, anxiety, whatever. Let's let's get to that point of and so when you're able to talk about your suicidal thoughts, you're like, wait a sec, dude, Adam's a great dude. It's happens to him well maybe i shouldn't feel so bad if it happens to me right right so because yeah like the a lot of those stories that we tell ourselves in our head like i i'm, I'm weak because i think like this or how could i be that person i mean all this shit it's like well when you know for my path the more i started to open up about it the more i started to hear other people saying well you know i, I think like that too i have those thoughts I'm like okay cool all right well let's talk about that right because the, what I'm hearing now is a lot of the populace has these thoughts. Whether we act on them or not is our own thing, right? But, but the, the, the thought itself can create a story which can lead to depression, mm -hmm. which can lead to anxiety. Mm -hmm. But if we just understand that it's just a thought, all these thoughts pass through our head all the time. Sometimes we cling on to some. Sometimes they just pass by and you're like, well, that was fucking weird, right? But still, it, it's just a thought. Right. The fact that you're having that thought can be something we talk about. And the more we talk about it, then we can realize I'm not that thought. I'm right. not that. It's just a thought. Yeah. Like, oh, that was interesting. That's just going to pass by. Yeah. But when we start to create that story, then we feel, oh, my God, now am, am I suicidal? Am I this thing? Am I this stigma? No, it was just a thought. Right. But if we can open the atmosphere up to where we can talk about this stuff, depression, anxiety, fuck menstrual cycles, abortion, right? right? All these things that are like, oh, we shouldn't talk about them. Right. No, let's talk about it. You right. know, let's put it shit out there so we don't feel so weird about it when they come up because it's a natural part of life. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's so great. I love that. Yeah. We have to the the what you said about the thoughts, I also I I say that about emotions too. Emotions are. Yeah. That's it. They're not good. They're not bad. It's they just are. Yeah. Anger can be a positive emotion if it's purposed in the right direction, right? Happiness could be bad if it's the result of something maybe that you're, you know, that you did. Yeah. Incorrectly. Yep. So emotions just are and let's not judge them. Let's label them and maybe we need to talk about them. And let's define them the best that we can, mm. not just fine or bad, but right. let's really try and define that emotion. Um, and and it's yeah, and it's the same thing with thoughts too. Let's let's understand what they are. Let's try and define them. And if and if we're concerned about them, well, let's look at how did we get to that thought or emotion, right? And what did we do with that thought or emotion? What action did we take after that? Is that something that we're okay with? Mm. Well. I can be pissed as hell because I haven't talked to somebody about my emotion. And so finally I'm so upset. I'm like, I call my best friend and I'm like, dude, I finally got to tell you how I'm feeling. Right. That anger was positive. That was a positive emotion because it forced you to do something healthy. Wow. Yeah. So don't look at anger as negative. It's just an emotion. Mm -hmm. How did you get there and what are you going to do with it? <clears throat> And so, yeah, they just are. They yep. just are. They don't. Same thing with alcoholism. I talk about this in my book, and it's a wish um, that we wouldn't use the term alcoholic. Right. We would say he has alcoholism or she has alcoholism. Not that she's an alcoholic because it doesn't define us. Yeah. I have alcoholism. I'm not an alcoholic. <clears throat> right. You know, I, I'm blue. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. I have alcoholism. So our thoughts, our emotions, 
are they they are part of who we are, but they don't define who we are. Right. So, and the the way that we speak about ourselves is something that subconsciously we feel, whether or not we realize it or not. And like you said, I am an alcoholic. Well, that embodies me. That's who I am. But if I have alcoholism, that means I can set it down. I'm not it. Right. right? right. I have depression. That I'm not depressed. But if I have depression, I can set it down. I can I can release that depression. But if I am depressed, then that's just who I am. Yeah. Right. So it is about like how we approach the, the, the situation, how we, how we word it. You know, one of the things for emotions that I love, one of my favorite quotes for emotions is all emotions are okay. All behaviors are not right. Because yeah. if we, yes. if we take, like you were saying, if we experience fear, if we experience anxiety, anxiety has a lot of good information as long as anxiety doesn't take over. Yep. Right. Anxiety can be like, Hey shit, did you, did you realize you got to pay rent next month or in two weeks? Do you have all that money? Are your kids going to school or whatever? You know, we have that anxiety, but it doesn't need to encompass us. But we listen to the message of what anxiety has. And then it's like, cool, okay, anxiety, you can go sit back down and I'm going to take that information yes. and then we'll, we'll go with it from there. Mm-hmm. But giving, the, giving the, the breadth of that emotion to fully understand it and to experience that and then find out what you want to do with that information when it comes in. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, and I, I learned that from my, <clears throat> I learned this concept of emotions are, from my therapist and I, I went to personal one-on-one therapy, mm. you know, almost a weekly basis for about six or seven years, I think nice. after, you know, after getting out of rehab and finding the right person, I went through a couple, you got to find the right therapist. I think that's one of the hardest things about, about therapy is finding the right, per, finding the right one. But yeah. I found a guy that I worked with for years and he, exposed me to this idea that emotions are that they just are yeah and and that was such a valuable lesson for me um and it's something i pass on to my kids and anybody who'll listen to it just and and uh i think it's a great uh, to me it's a great way to live definitely it's a great way to live yep and just say i think it's beautiful that your vulnerability and your openness about your experience and how that will help raise your kids Help, help your kids understand like the the little nuances of life that you had to find out on your own, right? And not like we can teach our kids everything, but when we can when we can humanize ourselves as adults to kids, especially our own kids, that I think that 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 gives them a little bit of an upper hand as far as like I don't have to achieve this, right? Yeah. Dad's as human as I am. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. <laughs> that means I'm not like always looking up to what dad can be and how am I going to reach what dad is? No, I'm going to just reach what I want to reach because this is my life. This is my goals in life. Yeah. And I think, you know, that the levels of suicide attempts, suicidal thinking in, in adolescence right now is just off the charts. And so maybe, I don't know, I'm not a expert. I'm not trained in this stuff, but maybe if adults, maybe dads, could say, hey, I made a mistake or, hey, I'm feeling emotional, this emotion or that emotion, I'm down today or I'm grieving this or if they see that we're expressing these emotions and accepting these emotions and dealing with them in a healthy manner, could they mimic that and could that help them? So so that's another driving force for me to try and write what I can about wellness and personal growth is that um, the youth 
of America right now is struggling emotionally big time. Yeah. And, uh, and what can we as some people with some experiences and years under our belts, what can we be doing for them? And, and, um, and we know that they don't love to listen to exactly what we say, <laughs> but they watch us. They do. They watch us. They and do. So if we're, if we're doing the right things, uh, for entire wellness, not just working on our six pack abs, right. but like if we're trying to do completely well, maybe they'll see that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. Yep. So. And that's there. There's, um, uh, uh, you know, I think Jungian young was the first person that really kind of brought this to the mainstream, but the archetype, the idea of archetypes. And, uh, and so as I'm, I'm 42 years old now, I'm, I'm entering the, what's called the sage archetype. Um, and that's, uh, I think in, in women or in, in feminine, it's, it's uh, crone, uh, and masculine is sage, but basically we get to an age where, where our kids are now self-sufficient like they're starting families of their own they're doing all their own things but we don't have to put all of our time and effort into our kids so now we can become the the overarching matriarchal part patriarchal kind of like the the uh, like the grandfather the grandmother of mm-hmm. the, the tribe mm-hmm. and where we impart that knowledge where we finally have the opportunity to step aside and say hey this is life knowledge that i have this is what's helped me in life. This is what's helped me understand what, what these emotions are. These are the pitfalls that I've gone through. But this is this is me and this is my experience, right? And being able to share that with the younger generation so that they can, you know, learn from what they want to, like you said. Like we can sit there and verbatim. I can tell my kids on blue in the face, like, don't do that. Don't put your hand on fire. It's going to hurt. Don't put your hand on fire. And then I look over there and she's got her hand over a candle. I'm like, well, you got to figure some shit out on your own, right? Yeah. But but giving that opportunity for us to impart that knowledge and to be that that bringer of the the information and saying, hey, you know, we've been through some shit. Here's some of the, here's some honest, honest, just brutally honest things that have happened in my life. Not saying that you shouldn't do these things, but I want you to know that I've done them and they didn't turn out too well. So take that information right. as you wish. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But bringing that, bringing that back of that, that teacher, you know, that this is, this is just some life experience that's helped me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and, um, it's, it's weird you know, I'm a cry baby. I cry a lot. And I, uh, you know, I, there's that image of the, of the tough dad. Right. And I'm like, Oh, what am I doing? You know, am I like being some weenie that like, Oh, but I'll still side on the show your emotions. Definitely. Let your kids know that it's okay to feel emotions and you feel how you feel. Um, it's how you act upon those and, and are you recognizing these emotions when they come in, you know, um, or are you just react, are you reacting to them too much? Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think there's, there's, uh, that's the other side of recovery that I feel fortunate to have is I hope, I hope it's making me a better parent, Hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, because I've been forced to grow or die, <laughs> kind of. Right. Yeah. In my case, that's a little might be a, be a little bit extreme, but I've been I've been forced to grow. Um, did, is that playing out in as a parent too? Because that's like you said, that's part of us as we reach. Whether you have parents, I have some really good buddies that don't have kids, right? But they are for sure role models to other kids, definitely for sure. So it doesn't matter whether you got your own kids 
or your buddies have kids or you're an uncle or an aunt, you're a role model now as you hit 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. And so we got to keep that in mind too. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. Awesome. Well, okay. So we have your book that you've written, the expansiveness of Creed's Living that you're working towards. Uh, when do you think that you'll have, uh, you said you wanted to write a, uh, a book or like a workbook around the creeds living. Yeah, when yeah. do you think you'll have that? Um, oh, well, <laughs> I hope less than t- 10 years that it took me to write choosing life. <laughs> you know, I have to say something real quick on that. Cause I've been, like I said, I, I've been wanting to write a book for a while now and I think it's been about a three year process for me. So hearing that it took you 10 years, I'm like, all right, good. I'm all right. I got seven more years to go. I'm all right. I'm on track. You're right on track, absolutely (laughs) on track. (laughs) But it is interesting now, having published a book, that uh, sort of the the magic behind the curtain of publishing a book. I've been, I've seen it. It makes it a little bit easier. I know what goes from having a bunch of words on a page to making a book. Right. So, but I still have four kids. I still have the website that I want to write to where I'll have maybe every couple of weeks, I'll put up a new blog post, a new essay. Um, so I want to do that. I, I'm, it might take me three years, maybe I'm guessing, but I have a lot of it written down. I think yeah. it just needs to get refined. Um, but I hope it's not more than a couple, three years uh, because uh, it's in me. I feel like it's there. I feel like um, it's it's the right thing to do. So hopefully it won't take too long. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I just loved write. I found writing uh, in my 40s and I just love it. So I, I, I'm lucky I get to do it. Well, your writing is very moving and it's very approachable, which I love. Um, so keep at it, man. Thank you're, you. You're helping people. You've helped me and I can only imagine how many more you got uh, under your belt before, you can, uh, before you're done Thank with you. this. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, brother. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for spending time with Blue and I. Please check out his book, Choosing Life, and his website, Creed's Living. Also, please like and subscribe to the podcast and share it to those you think will benefit from it. Well, basis in love. We'll see you next time.